Hello and welcome back to the Villa Villa podcast. I'm here as always with my good friend Dan Wiseman. Dan, Liverpool 2, Aston Villa 1. First of all, mate, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. The afternoon has consisted of me uh, watching the Villa game, obviously, and the disappointment that then was um, to then pinning all of my hopes on Milan native in the Grand National a little outsider who I, I fancied. Um, and now that's a mugs game, is pinning hopes on a horse in the Grand National because you, you about you after watching about 10 seconds, um, you quickly realise why I know absolutely nothing and will e- never know anything about horse racing. It's really, really not for me. Um, so, yeah, about £5 down. But to any future employers, we love horse racing. We, we know oh, we're absolutely. so knowledgeable. We welcome, we welcome <laughs> any sponsors within that industry. Um, but, mate, my afternoon is made all the better by seeing your fine self. Likewise, man. It feels like it's been a while. The international break was a lot longer than I think we hoped for and or expected. And we're in this final kind of stint of the season now, I believe, with eight games left to play for Villa with a game in hand, which is absolutely wonderful. Eight very tough games as well, Dan. This is just one of them that we managed to get out of the way with Liverpool. And I think the first thing that needs to be highlighted is overall, as we just kind of discussed off air, Dan, this was a pretty poor game from both sides. It's certainly not one that would have got the neutral excited today. I'm sure many people would have tuned in hoping for yet another Liverpool defeat as they up until today, had not won at home in the Premier League in the year 2021. Uh, so, I mean, Aston Villa, there you go, putting it on a plate for you. As always, Premier League teams can always rely on Villa to help them break their duck. And I think as I highlighted in the preview, the game management of this game is so important. And I kind of alluded to a bit of air of uncertainty as to how I perhaps thought that, that Villa and Dean should set up uh, and, and who should come in. I was a big advocate for Marvellous Nakamba. I didn't particularly think he had a great game today. Uh, I still think that Villa kind of benefited from having him in in the first half. I hope that his, his, his um, substitution did not come through injury as James Milner seemed to leave a bit on him, didn't he, before he mm. came off, which uh, isn't very nice to see uh, if you're Marvellous Nakamba. But, you know, Dean had a, a, a decision and... Let's be honest, it was an easy one. Do I go 4-4-2 or do I stick 4-3-3? Had we have gone 4-4-2, Dan, I think it's safe to say this game is over before it even starts. Again, something we alluded to in the preview. Amid, you know, Liverpool's midfield three, regardless of who is in there, you know, today we had Fabinho, we had James Milner and uh, Genie Wijnaldum. They outrun a two in midfield. That's just how it works. Uh, I was actually kind of, I understand the sentiment, you know, Villa got the goals against Fulham in 4-4-2, but, you know, there are definitely formations and systems that lend themselves to situations. And, of course, 4-4-2 was never going to be at all appropriate against Liverpool. But it's a difficult one, really, Dan, because I feel like the midfield is the area that is mm-hmm. constantly letting Aston Villa down. And it's really difficult because I feel like we had this nailed down in the first half of the season. We had a starting eleven that you could rely on every single game. The team essentially picked itself. And, you know, you're coming in today, looking at the lineup. you can't help but feel like JJ is a bit hard done because Villa, of course, looked so much better when he came on against Fulham. 
Morgan Sanson, again, has every right to feel aggrieved not to start, uh, especially when Ross Barkley eventually comes on later on in the game and uh, doesn't set the world alight. Again, no sort of agenda, but it, I feel like Ross's time at Villa is now up, Dan. I, don't, I feel like it's almost a lose-lose for Dean in this situation because, you know, although we got the win, things aren't really going our way. Obviously, uh, the, the news of Jack Grealish being out for a long time is certainly going to uh, make the club feel somewhat sorry for themselves, Dan, I think is, is maybe fair to say. But, you know, these boys, they proved last week that they could win without Jack. So I, I kind of feel like it, Dean was almost in a lose-lose situation regardless because Villa... Twitter especially was certainly so divided on how Villa should approach this game. Yeah, it's it's one of those, mate, where I think we did see certain fraction. Well, I'd say more than a faction. It's, I'd say it's becoming a majority now of, of the Villa fan base. It's sort of semi-appease because I think we saw John in some more advanced positions. Nice to see him get the assist as well. I think we, we yeah. saw him operating in not quite the, you know, you watch him play for Scotland. He is an out and out 10. And I, I think that's largely because of Scotland lacking in those forward positions that I think they play John further forward. And, and I, I don't think realistically we'll ever see him playing as an out-and-out out 10 in this Villa team. No. But, you know, you, you see he was certainly more progressive. He gets the assist today, as I was saying. And, and you know, so I think it's good to see that that's um, the issue of, of where he fits into that midfield and exactly what his role is. Um, might be lending itself towards something uh, slightly more attacking because I think it is it is frustrating to see him go away and do what he does on an international stage and then and then come back for Villa and has to be doing something which I think if you watch the interviews I don't think he's a hundred percent sure he should be doing so it was nice to see that and I, I did support the the four three three and you know I think ultimately now you know to everyone listening to this podcast. Well, I really want to see the two up front. I would be really interested to see how it works, but I don't think we'll see it permanently. No. Dean Smith has built an entire, you know, managers come with philosophies. And I don't think Dean has fully unveiled his philosophy yet at Villa, but they have principles. Dean Smith has played a 4-3-3 or a variation of the 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call it, everywhere he has been. He's not about to leave it now. Just because, as with Villa in the position they are in the table, he he has us in the top half of the table, playing a four three three or a four two three one, depending on how you want to look at that formation. That's the way it's going to stay. You know, you you can't make such a dramatic switch permanently halfway through a season. I don't think no. having played four three three for year, like the, the lads that have been here since Dean first came in for years. If you switch that without the necessary training without the work on the training ground, that's something for pre-season that you, that you can work on, remodel that formation when you've got all the lads there in a core, no stresses of other games, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the three in midfield was always the way it was going to go. But for me, the, the game was not lost in a formational sense. I think the midfield, Villa as a, as a entity really with the architects of her own downfall especially in the first half all of the biggest chances that Liverpool had were from Villa mistakes yeah you know we do our best on this podcast Dan to support Tyrone Mings but sometimes he doesn't help himself does he you sort of watch him like make yeah, a mistake man. in the first half and think come on we are rooting for you Tyrone on the Villa Villa podcast come on we man. love you we we need you to start backing us up um and uh, yeah, the Villa, that just sort of summed it up. John McGinn was playing some wayward passes that got intercepted. And, and 
all of it, as I said, all of Liverpool's best chances came from Villa mistakes. They had nine shots from inside the box in the first half. And when Villa went in leading, it almost felt not quite undeserved, but like we were riding our luck. And that's a frustrating because when you're playing a side like Liverpool, you need to eradicate those mistakes that you make. I feel like we, we've had that feeling half-time in the last game at Villa Park down there in the Premier League, didn't we? With, with it being so... Uh, you know, it, it was such a convincing win, of course, but it's Liverpool. There's this kind of, there's this aura. And, you know, as we kind of alluded to earlier, the fact they haven't won at home in the Premier League this season, uh, this year, sorry, in 2021, you still can't help but feel threatened by Liverpool because when they have, a, you know, a, a forward line of, of Mohamed Salah, Diogo Jota and Roberto Firmino with like the likes of Sadio Mane and and Jordan Shakiri yet to come off the bench, then you have plenty of reasons to be worried. And again, you know, this is something that I alluded to in the preview, the wing play from both sides was going to be really important to this game. And I think, you know, it's so easy to say had Jack Grealish been fit, this is a different game, of course. But for me, you just got to look, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold made the most amount of tackles uh, in the Liverpool side, uh, only second to Matt Target in the whole game, who made four, Trent with three. And looking at the kind of positions that Trent's occupying, he's well in Villa's half, looking at where Trezeguet is, he's exactly where you want him to be, exactly where I highlighted for him to be, uh, you know, kind of almost in line with Watkins in, uh, you know, well in Liverpool's half, exploiting that space in behind. Didn't quite go Trezeguet's way there, of course. He, I mean, he had many wonderful chances, but, you know, you just got to look at the uh, other players that are in the top five boxes. You've got Target, you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold. Matty Cash is also in there as well. So that, that really demonstrates how important the fullbacks were to both sides, nullifying the threats uh, either end, using the wingers and the fullbacks as Liverpool do oh so well. And I think to, to kind of dial it back and, and, and look at what Villa did really well in this game, Dan, is Villa had nine attempts and you know, eight from open play and they scored a goal. And you compare that to Liverpool's 23 attempts, 15 from open play, they scored two. Villa were clinical when they needed to be in that first half. Oh, I said when they needed to be, they needed to be more clinical in the second half, to be honest with, with some of the chances that we were uh, creating or, or half chances of that. John McGinn does really, uh, it's a wonderfully weighted pass for McGinn. And yeah. I think the move just kind of perfectly summed up. I think Villa often sweat the basics and we try and overcomplicate things so much. And you can see, are these saying, put the ball on a plate here, let me do the rest. And what happens? Villa go one the look. Uh, you just kind of have to work it to, to Ollie a bit more. And there were, there were instances uh, more specifically in the first half where Trezeguet and Bertrand uh, may be too selfish, weren't necessarily picking the right pass or, or looking for Ollie. And when he's working as, as relentlessly as he is, you can't help but feel frustrated for Watkins because, you know, he covers so much ground. He does so much. He's obviously had like three goals ruled out from VAR, which is a subject we will come on to very shortly, Dan. Uh, I, I, sometimes I just feel like the service isn't good enough. And of course, without Jack Grealish there, it's going to be significantly lower, uh, which again, uh, you know, it, it, it's highlighted in all the stats, Dan. And it's uh, most of the play came from Villa's left. Again, as we expected with, with the attacking output from Trent for Liverpool, and with Villa's just natural sort of top heaviness towards that left-hand side, even without Jack Grealish. Um, but sort of coming into the second half, Dan, it, again, it, did, it felt almost too good to be true because Villa were in this game for the longest time, weren't they? 
Yeah, we were, mate. And and that was, you know, hey, optimism on the Villa Villa podcast. Get used to it. It's coming. <laughs> we didn't play very well today. I didn't think we played badly, but it wasn't Villa at their best. Absolutely no. We, I thought we were quite frustrating at times, actually. We were sloppy. Um, I don't think there was, we ever really generated a good spell continuously in the game. We struggled to build momentum. Moves felt a little bit stagnated. We, we struggled under the press a little bit at times. But we were drawing, winning for a large portion of the game. You know, we, this is sort of what I felt is that you, I was watching the game thinking, oh, this isn't a great performance. And then you're like, we're drawing 1 1 with Liverpool at Anfield, the home of the Premier League champions. It's like, if you can go there and play, okay and and still be in that position to bar a Trent Weldy go and take points from a game that's that's a really good going you know I, I mean I know that Liverpool aren't the beast that they were last season I know that and but they're still Liverpool they still have now the the player tied for the golden boot they still have an array of players as you were touching on Dan that like you know, when you see them line up, I mean, bar maybe Nat Phillips, who I thought was really good today, actually, and Ozan Kabak. Um, that's a, that's a star-studded team, and and like you, you kind of double second, go like, wow, like I can't, these guys haven't won in twenty twenty one. There's still the players are still there, the pieces are still there, and you get the feeling with Liverpool, it can at any given moment, and they're back. Yeah, I don't think we saw that today, but Villa. <sighs> It's difficult to say we did our duties and because we weren't clinical enough, but when it mattered at the end of that first half, we took the chance. And Ollie Watkins, well, we wanted to play Liverpool every week because the guy just kind of scores against them. Um, this is a really, um, apart from the stat, I, this was an amazing, I don't know if you heard this on Sky, there was a stat they said just before the teams walked out of the second half and they were like, Liverpool haven't, this was a genuine state, it was like Liverpool haven't won on the same day as the Grand National at Anfield since the year the Queen was coronated. I was like, that, that is the most really outrageous. It's like, okay, what do I do with that information? <laughs> um, but if we're talking the most goals against Liverpool in a single Premier League season, Ollie Watkins now has four, which is obviously the same amount that Andre Arshavin managed for Arsenal in the 2008-2009 season. Difference is, it is um, whilst Ollie managed three in one game against Liverpool, Andre Arshavin famously managed four. We all remember that celebration. What a game. That was a yeah, brilliant. That's pure, wow. that's a that's a fine wine of Premier League football. Um, other the players to have managed four goals against Liverpool in one season: Mark Vajuka, Andy Cole. But unfortunately, it's not the most. Matt Letizia did get five in ninety-three, ninety-four. But that's some really esteemed company for Ali Watkins there, and uh, I'm really happy to see him get on that score sheet because um, you know it'd been eight games before the last uh, the Fulham game. It'd been eight games without a goal, and it was dragging on a little bit for Ali there. So yeah. I, I'm. Delighted with him. Um, you know, that's a quarter of all the goals he scored this season has now come against Liverpool, which is uh, remarkable, really. Um, but, yeah, we then had the VAR call, didn't we, Dan? And, and this is something yeah. that I tweeted off the account as well. And I, I was not sure how that would go down, to be honest with you. You know, I just sort of said that I don't enjoy seeing that. Like, it's like... It, like even I was delighted that Villa went in leading. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying, but it's like 
all the lines, the, the, the sleeves and the, the, how long it takes is like, no matter what the outcome is, whether it works for Villa or not, I can't yeah. support that. I can't get behind that and, and genuinely feel good about that working because you know, I'm a football fan, Dan. Like, and, and, and that's why I, I love this game. That's why you love this game. And it's like, it was ridiculously tight. And, and you know, even the, whether Matty Cash did or didn't touch it is, is, is very hard to say. I think they got that part right. But the, yeah. it was so tight. But we've we got to get used to it now, unfortunately, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, listen, you knew last night after William Jose's goal got ruled out that there was going to be another glaring mistake, dare I say, in the following set of games the next day. You know that's going to happen. That's just that's, that's the way it is. That's I mean, the officiating yep. has been a joke throughout the whole season. You just kind of have to take it as it comes, really. Uh, I think, you know, a, a big complaint just about VAR and how these offsides are done in general is the, the cameras aren't straight. If you're going to be drawing lines, you have to have, you know, 10, mm. maybe 12 cameras all along the pitch side so as you can get that angle correct. Because, you know, maybe if you look at that straight on, I mean, I was pretty convinced as soon as the ball was played that Diogo Jota was offside. Uh, but, you know, the lines were drawn. Uh, it's all pretty sketchy, you know, with the goals that Ollie Watkins has had ruled off this season. I'm not going to complain too much, but I feel like you, we can't really take this kind of passive, oh, well, you know, it swings and roundabouts approach because then there's no change and it is slowly killing the game. So it's something that absolutely has to be called out. Dan, I know you despise VAR talk on the Villa Filler podcast, but it does, you know, it, it genuinely changes the game if Liverpool score there. Uh, you know, the, the momentum heavily swings in their way despite, you know, going into halftime pretty soon after. I think... A, f- a big frustration about Villa, and, and you know this is totally evidenced in in the stats that I'm about to to, to back up this point with here is, you know, it, it, they looked lethargic. It it, it seems laboured to try and string uh, some passes together. The the movement wasn't quite great off the ball. Villa only managed a total of 300 passes compared to Liverpool's 605, with an average pass streak of three. You've not really got the ball for longer than 20 seconds there when you Ooh. you know you sort of break it down. And yeah, Liverpool's average pass streak was was only five. But again, these were two sides that definitely weren't at the pinnacle of performance. That is very fair to say. And again, you know, you said you made the point earlier, Dan. Both of the goals that Villa conceded actually they so frustratingly come from mistakes that Villa have made when in possession, being careless, not looking after that ball. And uh, I was actually convinced watching it in real time that Ty may have headed that in for the first one for, for Mo Salah, uh, which is a frustrating one. And I think the last one, if we're going to take any positives from this game, and guys, I'm really clutching at straws here. Jacob has to close down Trent, right? He does. There is no excuse. But, I mean, it's a learning curve. He's, he's going to know for next time. I don't think... Jacob is the kind of kid to make the same mistake twice. Uh, I hope people aren't giving him too much of a hard time on social media. Again, I, as I mentioned in the last podcast, just kind of stay off Twitter really as much as possible. It's not really a good place, especially when Villa lose. Um, a wonderfully taken goal by Trent Alexander-Arnold. And it's a shame because Emmy makes a save that is worthy of a point for Villa mm-hmm. to, to initially keep Thiago out, I believe, from close range. Uh, falls perfectly to Trent and you know in that kind of position, he's gonna he's gonna opt to curl that one into the top corner. Um, 
But Dan, I mean, I'm going to let you go with the XG today because you were you were eager in telling me uh, that you have your numbers. So please uh, fire away. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, there's two things I want to highlight when it comes to uh, XG. Um, the first is that Liverpool are a side who are underperforming as to their XG this season. Um, so, and that's about about 6.1, which after today's game has gone up to about 6.2, 6.3. So I'll come on to the XG from this game. And that was reflected in the first half, wasn't it? I mean, Liverpool, as I said, nine shots from inside the box. They had 23 shots today, Liverpool. Um, but the, in the game itself, Villa registered an XG of 0.67 with Liverpool racking up 2.37 uh, in a 2-1 win. So it reads pretty accurately, to be honest with you. It's a remarkably similar uh, XG to the Man City-Leeds game um, with both wow, sides yeah. the same, but that, that was flipped. Uh, the scoreline was flipped the other way around. Um, it's really interesting to, to see, you know, you talk about Villa holding on to the ball and, and maximising that thing. And when you talk about Liverpool underperforming their XG and, and looking into that side of thing and that unreliability in the team, Liverpool have made, and this is, man, this is a metric I had to do some digging for, Daniel, um, the third most miscontrols. Wow. The third most mis it was 387 this season. So the third most miscontrols in the Premier League with 387. And they've made the most errors leading to opponent shots in the Premier League with 18. And so I don't think Villa did enough to maximise that and create chances of our own because we've seen how, like, the, the stats are there. You press Liverpool, you force them into situations and, and break those passing rhythms and you can get something out of that back line. I don't think Villa did that enough today I, I, and and that was annoying. But, you know, bringing it back to the XG, mate, I think it, it reads pretty fairly. It was one of those where... It's only really after the game where you where you start looking into the stats and how dominant Liverpool were that you sort of go, yeah. you know that that it was coming and I don't think anyone was too bitterly surprised like surprised when that goal goes in. You know Liverpool had twenty three shots to our nine, ten on target to our five, a passing accuracy of about twenty percent more. You mentioned the amount of passes more that they'd made, the possession sixty seven percent to thirty three. The Liverpool were, were banging on the door for the longest time. And um, of course, with Gareth Southgate at Anfield, Trent goes and scores what is a fantastic goal. But, you know, just before I hand, throw it back to you, mate, on that point about JJ, you're right. He, he should have closed him down. He should have gone again. But you're playing a 19-year-old kid in his first season in the Premier League, you know, yeah. and, and that comes with pros and with cons. The pros are he, he's building valuable match experience. He's a good player. There's a player in him. I think, again, he's approaching that crucial age, which I think Villa have gotten wrong in recent years, where it's like you, he needs to continue this time, like he, either on loan or with the club. Yeah. You need to be able to guarantee him this playing time. And he's approaching that age. It's good that we're giving him the minutes. But when you play a 19-year-old, you're going to get mistakes. And whilst JJ, there hasn't been a, like glaringly obvious errors yet. And I, I think this one is one where, in hindsight, yeah, he probably should have closed him down. I think it's like a, oh my God, what is he doing? Um but there's, there's going to be mistakes and you can't be too harsh on JJ. That's that's the nature of the game. And, um, you know, we're, we're in the business of giving this kid minutes and, and, and that instance won't change that. No, of course not. And, you know, almost sort of ironically frustrating that he kind of ends up running into Ross Barkley, which leads <laughs> to this whole situation transpiring. So, you know, JJ is maybe saying a victim of, of circumstances a bit 
uh, unfair on on him and and what happened. But I feel, uh, you know, leading on to, to to Ross Barkley, and again at a point I alluded to earlier, the game management wasn't really there from Villa. Dan, I feel like you know we praised Dean for making the substitutes and somehow managing to to kind of get the goals against Fulham. Uh, it wasn't really coherent. Obviously, you know, clear. We went to a four four two, just kind of gung ho. Uh, crosses into the box. Let's see what works. But today, things were a bit different. Things were a bit confusing. Obviously, Douglas Louise injures himself in the first half, and Jacob Ramsey is set to be introduced mm-hmm. and is then shown back to his seat on the bench. But then Villa's first substitution is Ross Barkley, which is a you know you can question that because if JJ was going to come on in the first half, then what circumstances have changed for Ross to warrant a, a, a substitution over him? Uh, I can understand the sort of psychological aspect of, yeah, it's Liverpool. He told them a new one last time. Everton fan against his arch nemesis. You kind of got, that's all, you, you know, you're cl- clutching on straws here because we haven't really seen Ross in the longest time. And when we have, things haven't been great. And then we see Anwar introduced on the right, which is again, something that, He's not a right winger, Dean. You know, you no. play with these inverted wingers. He's right-footed. He scores his goals on the back post at the left. So that didn't really make sense to me. Uh, and then when you're kind of putting JJ on, it's like, right, okay, well, you're actually going right wing, you know, sort of an auxiliary winger. Just, it didn't really seem to make sense, Dan. The, the game, and I know we get so much stick for this, Dan, the Keenan Fuller podcast. The game lent itself to Keenan coming on for Bertrand Traore, who didn't really have a good game, but you needed more of a focal point because more than anything, Dan, Villa played 77 long balls, which is almost double that of what Liverpool played. Uh, only 218 short passes. Every time Emmy had the ball, it was uh, you know a clearance. It was a huge kick upfield. You need it to stick to someone. And with how uh, sort of sketchy the defence was for Liverpool on paper, I think, you know, uh, Phillips and Kabak had an okay game. There was the odd misplaced pass, which Villa should have really capitalised on a bit better. But you need Keenan on there just to bruise him up, mate, don't you? That's, the for me, the, the, the most glaringly obvious mistake that I feel like Dean made was, was not bringing him on. And I, it, I find it confusing because, if I'm correct, Keenan came on uh, in the fixture Anfield last season where Villa very almost stole a point. Uh, so... I can't really understand the, the 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 reasoning as to why the substitutes happened and, and, and why some didn't, Dan. But, you know, I think we're definitely not alone in thinking that this was a game that lent itself to the impact sort of Keenan Van Nistelrooy, Dan. Yeah, mate, it's... it's honest. I came on this podcast thinking, damn, we were really unfortunate not to walk away with the point. And as we've started speaking and laying down the stats, I was like, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not um yeah. but no it's it's again this is another thing which sort of contradicts the stats is that i don't think dean's game management is brilliant but before we then completely caveated this villa had dropped the least points from winning positions in the entirety yeah. of the premier league with five and that is the metric for good game management, surely. <laughs> that's, that's Absolutely, the, yeah. That's that you go to to define how good a like game manager a manager is. 
um, and Villa lead the league and it well, did until you know we dropped a further two and I think we're still within the top five um, but I don't think the substitutions were there and I think Villa now are starting to feel the negatives of Dean not necessarily knowing his strongest 11 because you see the same faces introduced, but in slightly different positions and scenarios and roles each game. Yeah. As I think we undergo that project of finding where players best sit in. So one week and one might be introduced on the left, one week and one might be introduced on the right. Chelsea Gay comes on, scores two goals, suddenly he's starting. John McGinn goes away, plays well with Scotland, he's pushed into the 10. Nakamba comes in in some games, plays a six. Douglas is dropped deck next to him. Then Sanson will come in, and suddenly Louise is an eight with Sanson as an eight. And it's like we're this real sort of as we continue to to go forth in this village and and find out exactly what our strongest team is. This sort of mismatch of players who we still don't really know where they play, where they're best unfolded is going to come yeah. back to haunt us in games like this because we are still going through that process, and when we can't bring players on and rely on them. And, and and trust exactly what we're going to get from them, then it haunts you. I think Keenan certainly was the answer today. Um, I can see, I think, you know, Dean's favoured the shape and everything like that. And, you know, be, with Ollie scoring, perhaps it would have been harsh to put him out wide if, you, if you're going to stay with the 4-3-3 and not go to the two up front yeah. um, for Keenan. It's 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 a difficult, a difficult one. I, I, I do agree. But as I, I said, I think that brings back to whilst Villa have used the least number of players from a squad in the whole league this season... Which, the lack of trust there. Yeah, exactly. Because we're still undergoing that process and I think that flaws us in games like today. Yeah, and I mean, against the worst team, as we kind of said again, you know, in Fulham, it works sometimes. That's just the nature of the game, Dan, isn't it? You know, it, it, we can't forget, despite how poor Liverpool have been, how great of a side they actually are, how daunting of a place Anfield actually is. We haven't managed to successfully do a league double on them since the 1992-1993 season, which, oh my God, Villa. And, you know, with some of the Liverpool teams that we've had since is just crazy to think. Uh, and even some of the Villa teams we've had since, uh, it, it is a little bit crazy. And, uh, you know, as we're, kind of, as we're kind of rounding up this podcast now, Chelsea seem to be 2 up against Crystal Palace. Villa are sat in 10th with a game in hand. Uh, you know, Leeds going above us today with an absolutely remarkable win against Manchester City. And of course... I benched Stuart Dallas this week and chose two Manchester City defenders. Uh, I'm glad I'm not alone there with 14 points sat on the bench. Uh, I think there's a lot of people uh, playing FPL who've done that. But listen, I think, you know, Villa are on 44 points. We're now five points away from Tottenham. Uh, If if that seventh spot gives you the Europa League or Europa League conference, it's not happening. Is it? You know, we have Manchester City yeah. next on Wednesday, Dan. We're then looking at West Brom at home, Everton away, Manchester United at home, Crystal Palace away, and then that's Tottenham a, that's away. That's a week Wednesday as well, isn't it? The Man City game. Uh, I don't think like the Wednesday. Oh, it is. is. Yeah, you're right. Wednesday first of April. I've, I've only just noticed that. You're right. So we've we've actually got quite a long time. So mm-hmm. uh, if you guys want to see a football manager stream in between, let us yes. know. Um, yeah. yeah, we need to do. It's been a while. Morgan and Wise. Yes. Uh, but, you know, seeing out the season, Tottenham away, and then finally Chelsea at home. I mean, a points haul isn't looking too high 
or any of these games really, is it, Dan? You know, I think I think the dead certs are uh, a Tottenham, and that's it, just because of how poor they have have, have really been this uh, sort of second half of the season. But it's going to be difficult, and I feel we can't be too disappointed today, Dan. I think no, absolutely not. The rest of the rest of the season is about experimentation. You know, we have a few games without Jack Grealish. Hopefully this sort of gap between the games, as we've literally just seen, uh, lends itself to a Grealish return against Manchester City. Fingers crossed, midweek games under the like uh, the lights at Villa Park is, you know, it's Jack Grealish territory, isn't it? Um, yes, well, you've got to hope. And if not, I mean, there's no point in rushing him back. I would much rather we only see Jack for three or four games, maybe ensure he's fit for the Euros. Uh, I mean, I'm always a, a club over country man, but Jack Grealish transcends that. We want him going with England uh, to the Euros, Dan, don't we? We want yeah, He's England's only hope of winning the, the, the goddamn tournament. So uh, we just have to, you know, as I say, manage that, maybe try a few new things, not necessarily against these big boys. Uh, give the min- more minutes to Ramsey. I feel like we're, we're definitely going to see him against the likes of West Brom and Everton, maybe even Crystal Palace as well. Who knows? Uh, but Dan, I mean... As we've kind of laid down, we've, we've laid down the stats. We had a bit of time uh, to kind of stew on that. Um, I'm not feeling too bad. I, I still feel like it is uh, a point that Villa could have had and, and maybe deserved. But you know, how many how many games? How you can't really account for um, for uh, you know a, a Trent screamer? Do I dare I say uh, with with a congested box? Really, he's done really well to score that. Uh, of course, frustrated. Please don't get that twisted. I feel like sometimes, Dan, when we... Uh, of course, I know a lot of you guys appreciate that Dan and I try and take a sort of objective approach to this. But listen, if you're listening and not watching, I'm sat here wearing a Villa shirt. Of course I want Villa to win. But sometimes you just have to appreciate, uh, you know, what has what has beaten you or what has, has, has successfully managed to take points off you. Um, so if you guys enjoyed this podcast, let us know by hitting a like, comment your thoughts below on the game. Let us know who your man of the match was and how you're feeling ahead of this Manchester City game. And Dan, before we go, do we have any final words from yourself, mate? Yeah, just quickly. Um, real nice touch on the celebration, Oli. Congrats on um, another child. We're absolutely Amazing. delighted to be here on the Villa Villa podcast. Hopefully they'll join us one day. Uh, the little celebration with the... Mm, love it. Very Totty. Lovely. Oh, yeah. Oh, we love Totty. Wow, what a guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ollie, what a guy. Uh, he, I mean, he's surely got to be in a push out of man of the match. So, as I say, let us know in the comments below. And if you are not subscribed, please do so. It's free, and over 55% of you watching this podcast right now on YouTube are not subscribed. So, it would mean the most if you could. Up the villa. <laughs>